Okay, so let's continue with the uh, adventure that we started last week, Great Jewish Treasures. Um, we were discussing uh, the artifacts of the daily Yisrael, and uh, today we're going to also showcase two artifacts. Um, the first one is something that you may never have seen before. We know that there is, uh, you're pretty familiar with all of the uh, like a yad that you use to, for a Sefer Torah and a crown of a Sefer Torah, a shaifer, a lulav. Um, this is uh, something called a shul clapper. It looks like a shaifer, right? But what do you think it really is? Very good. So, in the olden days, it's hard to imagine people would do this in this day and age, but people, there was a shamis, like a gabai that went around to wake up people in the morning to come to davening. So they would, uh, they would go to people's houses and they would clap on the window if you could. Wake up people like at like their seats. That we could do also, but this is, a, this is a famous picture. His name was Yechezkel, or I'm sorry, Ezreel. He was a shamus of the shul in Bielsko Biata, wherever that is, and it was in southeast Poland. And he was clapping on the window or on the shutters of the people's houses, and he was waking people up to come to davening, especially during Elul, during Aser Sumei when you're really supposed to wake up early, and it was hard in those days. They didn't have uh, alarm clocks and, uh, you know, alarms on their phones that just uh, woke them up. So how would you wake up? How did you? So they had to have this gabai come and uh, take this special shul clapper, and it was, uh, you know, they go and bang on the window. If you look in, in his hand, you'll see something similar uh, to, to that. And it's actually brought uh, in Minhage Maril. In the Minhagim of the Maril, Maril was one of the Rishainim that bring um, a lot of the Minhagim that we have. And he says that in the Minhagim of German Jews, it's recorded that the Shamus would summon the congregation for service daily, except on the fast of Tishaba for some reason. And this is what, um, and this is what uh, they used. And this is a set of mallet. This is one mallet, which is what they call it, from a set. If you look carefully, there's a baize on the top of it. Can you see that? So there's a letter baize right over here. And that was one, word, one letter of, of an entire set that has um, the opening phrases of the way Rabbi Yosef Karo started his Shulchan Aruch. What does that mean? We know that Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote the definitive work on Halacha, and it's called Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is basically, he took all of the Halachas of, the, of everything, anything that was found in Shas, any Halacha that we have to know whether or not it is pertinent to our daily living, that's called Arachayim, or to marriage and all things related to marriage, that's in Ebena Ezer, all women matters. Um, there is money matters that are pertinent that we're learning in Bava Kama, Bava Metziah, Bava Basra, that's in the Chaysh and Mishpa part of Shulchan Aruch. Uh, and then there's Yerudeh, which speaks about Kashros, and it speaks about um, other uh, Isr Beheter type of uh, mitzvah. So 
this is all codified by the by the Shulchan Aruch, by Rav Yosef Karo. The Mishnah Bura is a work that was written by the Chavetz Chaim to explain the Shulchan Aruch. But does anyone know how the Shulchan Aruch begins? The very first opening words of the Shulchan Aruch. What would you, if you were writing the Shulchan Aruch, what would you, how would you start? What would be the first halacha that you would put into the Shulchan Aruch? Think about it. Like, what would be the first thing that you would write about? Very good, excellent. So the first thing that he has, the very first simon in Shulchan Aruch is Din Hashkamas Habaiker, the halacha of waking up in the morning. That's how, that's that's what he speaks about. So the very first words of the Shulchan Aruch are Yiskaber Ka'ari Lamay Babaiker Lavedas Bayrei. A person should be very strong, like a lion, to wake up in the morning to serve his creator. That's the, that's the way he starts off. Um, that's why there's sort of like a, uh, an animal on this, because it sort of symbolizes how we're supposed to follow the way that certain animals, the animals, they, they don't need an alarm clock, they wake up, at the crack of dawn, and they're up, and they're already strong, and they're like a lion gets up. So this is a very, very important thing to know, um, that we're supposed to wake up in the morning. We're supposed to wake up to daven. If we notice that on those days that we don't get up in the morning for davening, and sometimes we get to sleep very late at night, and therefore we're very tired in the morning, sometimes we have good reason to go to sleep at late, late at night, maybe we're learning, or we're studying for a test or something, Sometimes we just were up, you know, doing nothing, schmoozing, playing video games, and it's very important to come to davening in the morning. It's just one of those things that you really have to try to better yourself. Now, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to all of us, um, myself included. It's, you know, sometimes it's, it's not so easy, especially when it's cold out, you want to stay in bed longer, you want to keep hitting the snooze button, but this is the first halacha in Shulchan Aruch. I bring here on a sidebar that there was a famous mashkiach, his name was Rav Elio Lapian. This is what he looked like. And when he was very old, he was a mashkiach in Eretz Yisrael, and he died when he was um, about 98 years old. All right? 70, if he was born in 72, and he died at 1970, I think that makes him about 97, 98 years old. So... When he got really old, he would tell his Talmud that would, that would be in the room to help him with things, he wants to make sure to wake up earlier every morning. So he, the Talmud said to him, listen, you're, ni- you're 95 years old, you're 98 years old. He says, it, would, it, do- it just makes sense to like, stay in bed longer. What do you have to, why is it so important for you to wake up earlier? You should wake up later. You know, who, goes, who thinks that they have to stay in bed uh, earlier, when you're older, you should, you know, it's natural to go to bed early, later, to, to wake up later. So he says that I don't know how I'm going to do on the test. When I get up to Shamayim, they're going to give us all a test. I'm going to get tested as well. He says, I don't know, you know, sometimes if you get the first question right on the test, that's a good thing because then maybe the teacher that's marking you 
um, you know, thinks, oh, he got the first question right, so he probably knows all the answers. So they'll they'll tend maybe sometimes to be more makele and to and to write and to just check. That, you ever have that? I mean, sometimes a teacher automatically believes that certain guys they know it better. So so it's better to get the first answer right. He says, what's the test that they're going to give me in Shemaim? The test is based on Shulchan Aruch. They're going to open up a Shulchan Aruch, and we just learned that the, the first halacha in Shulchan Aruch involves what? It involves waking up in the morning. You have to wake up in the morning like a lion strong to serve your creator. If that's true, he says, I want to make sure that at least I get the first question right. When they ask me, did you wake up in the morning every day for Shachris? I want to at least say to Hashem, yes, I did. So therefore, I want to wake up earlier and therefore, I'll be able to answer that right. Hopefully, if I get that one right, then Hashem will maybe be a little bit more lenient when it comes to all of the other questions that I'm going to ask deeper in Shulchan Aruch. And that's, you know, that's not so pasha to know that, you know, if I, if I, my, on Hochus Lashon Hara, how did I do? How did I do with Kashros? How did I do with uh, Shabbos, with Yantif? These are questions that are not so, uh, you know, it's not so simple to get them right. But at least if I get the first question right, that would be very ama- that would be amazing. That is that's the first um, the first uh, article that I wanted to talk to you about today. The second one that I want to talk to you today is something that we're all very familiar with. This is what do we call this? Very good, ashtender. We call that ashtender and. Um, Breathe again, you know the camera's on. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so shtender is uh, is something obviously that you learn from and you daven from, and uh, it's a it's a it's a wonderful invention. You could really use it a lot if you're yeshiva bacher, especially in Eretz Yisrael, right? Did you ever any of you go to yeshiva that they had shtender, that you learned from shtenders itself? Yeah, on a shtender or not? Are you just mm-hmm. on a table with a shtender maybe at the side of it? There are yeshivas, if you go to Panovich or you go to the Mir, uh, or a lot of yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, it's, the whole base medish is full of shtenders. So the, um, the stipler, his name is Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky. Anyone know who his son is? The current Rukhaim Kanievsky. very good. Rukhaim Kanievsky, who is the God Ladar today, is his son. And, his fa- and he was a god ladar before Chaim Kanievsky was a god ladar. So very often it goes in the family. And this is his shtender. This is a stipler shtender. Now the reason why I chose the stipler and I paired him with a shtender is because the stipler was the greatest masmid of his generation. He wasn't just a masmid when he was an old man like in this picture, but he was a masmid from his earliest age, from an from very, very early on, when he was maybe a teenager, uh, he learned in a yeshiva called Navardik. Navardik was a famous yeshiva throughout Russia and Poland, and he was a superstar Talmud. One time, Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, who was uh, in the future going to be the Rashiva of the Mir Yeshiva, he went to visit his uncle, um, who was Rabbi Avram Yafin, the Rosh Hashiva of Navardik, where the stipler learned as a, as a bacher. And he asked his uncle, who is the best boy in yeshiva? We always want to know who the best guy is. Who is the best guy in yeshiva? So 
He says, come, let's take a walk through the base medish. I'll point out different people to you. He says, see that guy over there? He says, yeah. He says, he's the biggest masman in yeshiva. He learns day and night. Day and night he learns. He says, oh, so he's the best guy in yeshiva. No, no, no. He's not the best guy in yeshiva. Okay. He takes a walk down. You see that guy over there? He's the most brilliant guy in yeshiva. Oh, so he's the best guy. No, he's not the best guy in yeshiva. And then he goes to another guy. This guy, uh, he has the biggest Yerushalayim in yeshiva. He, has, he fears Hashem and he like davens so beautifully. I say, he's the best. No, he's not the best guy in yeshiva. And then he points out another bacher. He says, he's the best boy in yeshiva. He says, why? He's not, the, he's not the smartest guy in yeshiva. He's not the biggest master in yeshiva. He's not the biggest Yerushalayim. He's not the, so why is he the best guy? He says, because he's the biggest mevakish. What does it mean, Mavakish? He, he wants it the most. He's hungriest for it. When you're hungry for something, when you're thirsty for something, that's the guy that's going to succeed. You don't have to have... Not, a lot of times we think, you know what, I'm not so bright, and I don't have the, the biggest ability to sit and learn all day, and I'm not, you know... So I don't have anything. It's not true. If you have a hunger to learn, if you really want to learn, then you could be great. It's not, when it comes to Yiddishkeit, and I, I've seen this so many times personally, that with other subjects in, the, in life, like let's say math, okay, if, I, if, I don't, if I'm not good at math, I could plug away 100 years, but I'm still not going to ever be great in math, because I'm, I'm, I'm just not gifted in math. So, you know, you'll put an equation on the blackboard or whatever, and it's going to look like, you know, but I'm not, if I'm not good in math, I'm not good in math. I'm, it's very hard, I might get a little better in math, but I'm never going to be like a Nobel uh, you know, math guy. I'm, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be Albert Einstein. If, uh, if I'm not good in science, I'm not good in history, if I'm not good... It's very hard for a person that naturally doesn't have ability. Like, there's a lot of guys that want to go to medical school, right? But they're just not... They're not good. They're not... When they take their labs or they, or they take chemistry or whatever, they're just not... They're not advancing. It's just not going... It's hard, right? You ever, anyone ever took a lab, like a chem lab? It's, sometimes you have to like, really fudge you know, like the, the data. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to get everything right. There are people that are great at it. People aren't great at it. So if I'm not great at it, it's very hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to become a doctor. To be a doctor, you have to really you know, ace all your tests, and you have to really do well, and, and do well on the GMAT, or the, on the uh, what do you, MCATs, and whatever, all those standardized tests. And that's the way it is in, in life. It's just the way it is. You can be very good in business. You can be very good in, uh, in other things. But you're not going to be, if you're not naturally gifted in a certain thing, you're not going to be great at that subject necessarily. Maybe there are certain exceptions. When it comes to Tyra, Tyra is different than all other studies in the world. Tyra is something that even if you're not brilliant and you're not naturally, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not the most logical guy, you're not the most, uh, uh, you don't, you're not the guy that raises his hand and asks Rebbe the best questions every day. And if you plug away and you really want it badly, you could succeed. I saw, I, I don't want to say who because it's, it's you know, obviously it's, it's very sensitive, it's Lashon Hara maybe, but I see it with my own eyes. There are people that I know that literally has had zero study skills, like they were not able, if you'd give them this book to read, it would take them a hundred years to read it, they're just not interested in reading that, but they were, they wanted to learn, and suddenly they, they become amazing in learning. 
Tyra is not like other subjects. Tyra needs one thing. You have to have the desire to learn. If you want to be a Talmud Chacham, if you want to really know Mishnah Buru, if you want to know Shas, if you want to know Mishnayis, if you want to know uh, Musr, whatever it is that you, de- if you desire it, and you daven, and you try, and you sit, and you try as hard as you can, slowly, slowly, you will succeed. Don't ever say, well, I'm not brilliant, so that's why I'm not a Talmud Chacham. It's not true. People that are not brilliant, people that are not, all you have to do is you have to want to learn. Somebody once came to Reb Shlema Freifeld, who was the, um, he was the, uh, the, um, the Rashiva in Sharyashiv in, in, in Farakway. And it was like at the time, Sharyashiv was about Shuva Yeshiva, more, more or less. And Rabbi Freifeld interviewed a, um, a certain boy who had bad experiences in, in all the yeshivas that he went to. He went, he was kicked out, he went to another, he was kicked out. And he was about to like, be finished with his whole yeshiva career. And then somebody said, try Sharyashiv, try going to Rabbi Freifeld. So he went for an interview, and Freifeld like, asked him this question. He says, let me ask you a question. I said, I know that you've been around the block many times and you had bad experience in yeshiva. Do you want to learn? That's my question to you. In order to get into my yeshiva, I want to know, do you want to learn? He says, no. He said, I don't want to learn. He says, but I want to want to learn. I don't want to learn, but I want to want to I have a desire to have a desire to learn. It's a step removed. He was being honest. And Rafael says, you're in. We're accepting you. And he had such hanar, Rafael like enjoyed that answer so much, you know, that a person that really wants to want to learn, that's a beautiful thing. We might not even want to learn. We might not even be at the stage in our life that we, we feel like, I want to learn. I don't even want to learn. But I want, do I want to want to learn? Yes. I want to want to learn. That's itself a madrego. That itself is something that's very commendable. Hashem loves that, that we have a desire to have a desire to learn. And this is what it's all about. The best student in yeshiva was the stipler. You know why? Because the stipler was somebody that wanted to want to learn so much. He wasn't apparently the most brilliant guy. In the, that's not to say he wasn't brilliant. He wasn't the most brilliant guy in the yeshiva. He wasn't necessarily the most, the biggest uh, masculine. But he wanted it so badly that he was destined for greatness. I, I have a, a little sidebar here. I like to put sidebars um, you know, whenever I can because I think it like, makes the book a lot more interesting. Somebody once came to the stipler when he was older. He was the Gadaladar. They asked him, I have a granddaughter who is dating. And I want to know, like, what should I look for? The grandfather was looking for his granddaughter for a shidduch. What should I look for? Like, what criteria should I set in terms of trying to find that perfect boy for my granddaughter? So the stipler answered, what would you answer if you were the stipler? Somebody asked you, tell me three things to look for in a, in a prospective mate for your daughter, for your granddaughter. Okay, good. Good meters. Very good. Okay, we got two out of three. Growth-oriented. What? Growth-oriented. Okay, I think we pretty much... This is what he said. Diligence in Tyra, that means being a masmid, common sense, and sterling character. So that's midas. So the man was surprised by the stipler's answer because if the guy's a Talmud Chacham, if the guy has diligence in Tyra, if he's learning... 
So you think that doesn't that automatically mean that he has good midot? He has good midos, right? If he is, if he's learning, that means that he's a good guy, right? He's sitting in the base matters day and night. He's a big masmid. So he's, uh, so he should have good midos, right? Don't, don't we always put those two together? We don't expect a guy that's, uh, you know, that's sitting and learning day and night to have terrible midos. You're thinking of people that do have terrible midos that learn day and night? Okay, all right, fine. Putting that aside, okay, that, you're, you're bringing Raya to what, he, what we're going to say. So, so the, the stipe, and he asked the stipe, this is, why do you have three things on your list? If he has diligence in learning, he, of course he has sterling character. So listen to what the stipe said. He said, you see, not necessarily. It doesn't always go hand in hand. He says, a stender is basically the the companion of Yeshiva Bachar for many years before he begins to get to date and get married. Right? Basically in Eretz Yisrael, this is what this is this is Yeshiva Bachar's wife. Basically he comes to Yeshiva in the morning, he davens by the Shtender, then goes eat some breakfast, then he learns by the Shtender first Seder, he davens Mincha by the Shtender, second Seder by the Shtender, night Seder by the Shtender, after night Seder by the Shtender, Davin's Mayer, everything is by the Shtender. He says the Shtender this is the stipler stender. The stender, the stipler said, is a wonderful companion. It never asks you to take out the garbage. Never had a stender that asked me to take out the garbage. It never asks you to buy anything, to buy you a nice uh, necklace, a nice bracelet. You know, I could see a stender with a nice, you know, ankle bracelet on the bottom of the stender, but no one, it never asks for that. It never gets upset. It's never in a bad mood. Never moody. Never met a shtender that had a bad mood. Never does a shtender expect a word of praise or reassurance, nor does it get sick and require medical care. You never have to drive the shtender to a, to a doctor, to a, an urgent care. You, know, you never have to get a COVID test, a PCR test. A shtender is always perfectly healthy, pretty much. I mean, sometimes it gets a little rickety. Maybe you have to bang a nail or two into it. But it's, for the most part, it's always a picture of perfect health. When that Bacher gets married, said the stipler, that was always with a shtender, he is suddenly supposed to live with a wife who is subject to all of the above. All of a sudden he's with a wife. The wife's not a shtender. The wife can get into a bad mood sometimes. The wife has to be taken to a doctor. The wife has to, when she gets pregnant, you have to take her to these sonogram appointments to see the baby inside. And then you gotta, you know, you, you gotta take her out to eat once, a, once in a while, and you gotta be nice to her. You gotta say nice things to her when she puts, uh, you know, in the, you have to say how pretty she looks, and you have to compliment her on her food, whether you like it or not. A stender, a stender, never had that. Never had that. Suddenly you get married, and now you have to learn how to do all that. That is why, said the stifler, you must make absolutely certain that the potential mate for your granddaughter has not only Torah wisdom, but outstanding character traits as well. The stifler is teaching us an important point. A lot of times we think that, you know, if, I, if I'm a ben Torah, if I'm a tamachachim, if I'm learning, that means that automatically the midas, uh, the midas will follow. And that's not always true. That's not true. Sometimes we can learn really well. We could put in a good day of learning and we could still be like not nice to people because Torah itself is supposed to purify us and it does. 
it makes you can't compare somebody that learns Torah to somebody that doesn't learn Torah. That's clear, right? If you have a, a guy, let's say, in Lander College for Men versus a guy in uh, some random college, you know, you can't compare at all if a person's learning Torah versus a person just doing, you know, college all day. That person that do, does college all day is, I'm sure, doing a lot of stuff that a Lander guy would not even, you know, start to think about doing. So Torah definitely does its part, but don't think that Torah makes a person perfect. For that, a person needs to really work on themselves additionally to learning Tyra. Because we're not, especially when it comes to marriage, marriage is something that um, you know, needs a lot of work and you have to really uh, perfect yourself to a certain degree in terms of your midas because if you don't, then it's, it's going to be difficult. Marriage is very challenging in, in the best circumstances. And when guys get married, I, uh, if they want, I give them a, uh, what we call a chasen shmuz, and uh, basically a 45-minute boot camp for chasanim that, uh, and, and it's, a lot of it is new to us because, you know, who thinks about this thing? I, I have friends, I get along with my friends fine, and, you know, I'm popular, and, but when you, when you get married, a boy and a girl are two different things. You might be very good with your roommates, but what's, what cuts the muster for... For in terms of your roommates and you know your midas for them does not is not at all the same thing when it comes to a wife. A wife is a you know there's a, a book that's called Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus. Anyone ever hear of that book? The basic premise of the book, and I think it's Dastaira, I think it's true, is that a man and a woman are are wired completely differently. So you're able to get along with your friends and you can, you know, sort of you know how guys operate, you know how guys think, you know how guys a girl is different than a guy in so many ways. So you might say something to your wife and you think it's like a nice thing to say and she's going to take it so personally. She's going to run upstairs, slam the door and not talk to you for three days. And you're wondering, like, what did I say wrong? I just, I said, you know, that, uh, what, you know, and she heard it completely different than the way you, you might have meant, meant it fine, but she heard it differently. She's operating on, a, uh, on an emotional level and you're operating on a cerebral level. You're, you're operating, you're, you're like, you're thinking logically, like this is, you know, but it doesn't work like that with girls. Girls think in a different way. They're, they have a different language. You have to speak to them in a certain language. You have to compliment them constantly. You have to, you have to make sure that they're, that they're good and they're happy and that they're feeling good about themselves. And you got to wine them. You got to dine them. There's, there's a lot of investment that, you know, people, oh, I get married, what's the big deal? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm like, it's much more than that. Being a good guy, a good roommate, a good chavrusa doesn't necessarily... Pre- it's good. It's, it's a good thing to do that, but it's to prepare yourself for marriage, for it to be a strong marriage, uh, you need to really uh, understand that your wife is not a shtender, that your wife has feelings, your wife needs uh, a lot of attention, and I, you know, there are people that... There are, you know, yesterday was a Super Bowl, so it's sort of in Yonadiyama, you know, the... You know, there's something called a football widow. You ever heard of that? It's like on Sundays, the husband is completely watch. In the winters, he watches football. And the wife, like, she has to do whatever, you know, she has to leave him alone. You know, get his beer and his hot dogs ready for the game. And then, like, just buzz off. Like, I'm not interested. You know, like, so they call that a football widow. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's not the way to go. That's maybe the way Gaim. Uh, could could operate in there, but you have to always include your wife. Your wife has to be a very much a part of your life, and she has to whatever if she lets you. Because hey, 
but you have to make sure that whatever you're doing is, uh, is with her backing, with her approval. If you start, like, clashing with her and saying, well, I'm going to the game whether you like it or not, I'm doing this, you know, like, if that, that's not good. You have to always be in lockstep with her. It doesn't mean you always have to agree with her and everything, but at least you have to make sure that she's happy and that she gets what's going on, she approves, and she's fine with it, and, and only then uh, can you do it. And um, so that's basically a, a very, very important insight. So we basically learned a few things today, right? We learned about the shul klopper and that the first halacha in Shulchan Aruch, you have to get up in the morning and come to davening. So that's Aleph Beis. Don't try as hard. I know it's hard, and I'm not saying that because you came to this, cla- this class today, that means that all, we're all going to start waking up tomorrow for Minyan, but we should. We really should. It's that important. It's important to, you know, there comes a point in a person's life that you want to come to davening every day with a minion. If it's, you know, you're not feeling well, if it's a snowstorm, you can't get out of your house, obviously there are exceptions, but if you can, if you're healthy enough to get up in the morning, get up on time, set your alarm, and wake up early, and try to get, especially to daven with, with, in yeshiva. When yeshiva is, uh, is, is in Zman, then the right place to daven is the place that you learn. So that's one thing that we learned. We learned about the shul clapper and how uh, that and how it's supposed to symbolize this important first halacha of getting and getting that halacha right about waking up early in the morning and arising like a like a lion. And then we learned about the stender of the stipler. How the stipler uh, was great not because he was the most brilliant and the biggest master, but because he wanted to want to learn. In life, you have to want to want to learn. If you you don't even have to want to learn but never lose the desire to want to want to learn. If you tell me, Rabbi, I'm really not, I don't, right now, I don't really, I'm not learning well, I don't have the desire. Okay, it's not a good thing, it's not a great thing, but it's understandable. But never say, your whole life, you should always at least harbor the will. You, I want to learn, or I want to want to learn. The day that I say, I don't even want to learn, I'm like, I'm no interest in learning, I'm done with learning, I graduated, done. That's the worst thing in the world. You don't, always have to learn because sometimes you can't, but you should always like feel that I really want to learn. And then we learned about Shalom Bayis, about the importance of understanding that your wife is not a shtender, your wife, so we learned basically that this, in, in 20 minutes we covered all the, ba- I think that's it. We never have to come back together, right? That's it. We basically covered about davening, we got, we got uh, learning and marriage, we're good. All from great Jewish treasures. I'm joking. Next week, Mitzvah Hashem will learn more. But in the meantime, have a wonderful week, and thank you so much for coming.